0: All right, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, it's important for us to recognize that this is a a real transition in the book of Ephesians. We are moving out of what has primarily been the indicatives, uh, wait, let me think about that, no, the imperatives, no, wait, the indicatives, yes, thank you. The illness just kicked in, Uh, the indicatives. And so um, here Paul has been explaining the lavish love of God. He uses terms that denote that God is not a God of of, uh, limited resources. He's lavish, and he has far more than we could ever ask or think He doesn't work off of a limited set of things that he can choose from. He's got more than enough and then some. And so it's very important that we keep that in mind because he's going to keep that up as we transition into this prayer that he's setting up for us to now move into the imperatives. How then should we live in light of all the love that God has expressed in and through Christ to us, right, so that we could be in Christ which is the first part of the book, right? It's it's establishing that firm foundation. This prayer that we're about to read is all about that. This thing that that Paul longs for us to have is a firm foundation in the love of Christ so that we can, for the life of the world, express that love in and through living out the character of God in the world, right? And so we, we weren't left here between the now and the not yet to just wait, uh, we were actually given work to do. We've been invited into this kingdom work. And so this prayer is critical to that transition. And so there's some things that's going to be very important for us to understand. So the key truth that I want us to get this morning from this, uh, this passage is that we need the Holy Spirit's help to comprehend and live out the love of Christ in the abundant power of God. That's, that's critical. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do it on your own. You can't just flat footed go out and try uh, to love people well, sacrificially, in a Christ like fashion without uh, the indwelling and empowering work of the Holy Spirit, which comes from the lavish and abundant power of the Lord our God. And so, the first question I have for us is, is what has most shaped and affected your, both your understanding and practice? Of love. And I think that's worth us thinking about this morning because we've all been influenced in a variety of ways, right? Love is one of those really tricky words uh, that is, it has a, a, a huge semantic range. It is, it is incredibly abstract. We've, I've asked you the question before, give me the, how many steps does it take to fall in love? proximity is the only one I can come up with at minimum, right? And after that, it is, it is some sort of process that we, we can't even comprehend or understand. It doesn't fit a particular model, right? And so love is one of those words that's tricky for us because uh, it means something very different biblically than often the way we use it in the world, right? In the world, it's, it can be a, a very sentimentalized thing, It can oftentimes be void of struggle and suffering, but in the biblical frame, it is born of struggle and suffering. And if you don't understand that, it makes it incredibly hard to be loved by Christ and then love people in the name of Christ. Because for those of you who are parents, how easy is it to love your child at all times in the same way? Children, how easy is it to love your parents at all times and in the same way, spouses? How easy? I mean, it's easy to love you, Adam, but it's different back the other way, right? Right. Uh, How easy can it really be to, to love someone else over a span of time, right? Especially when you go through some things, especially when you sin against each other, especially when you don't feel it. Because love is not just a feeling in our chest. To quote Andrew Peterson, it is the intentional act to bend down and wash another's feet. It is a sacrificial thing. It's a willingness to take up again and again and again when it is not always there, when you don't feel it, right? And think about how what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says, while we were still enemies, what did God do? That's critical. While we were enemies, what did he do? He loved us. He didn't ask us to get our stuff together first. He didn't ask us to become lovable in order to love us as our heavenly father. That is biblical love, and that is beyond our comprehension, and that is beyond our ability to to do outside of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We don't have that kind of strength. And so that's what Paul's gonna get at here in just a moment with this prayer. And so listen to what John Stott says about this. He says, Now Paul turns from exposition to intercession. Now it just means exposition, it just means he was, he was unpacking the indicatives of who God is, who we are in Christ. And now he's gonna intercede, he's praying before he tells us to do anything. We might could learn from Paul in this regard. Uh, quite a bit. And so it then says, he prays that God's wonderful plan, which he has been elaborating, may be even more completely fulfilled in his reader's experience. What Paul is saying is, I want you to be able to experience, live out, and feel the fullness of all of these amazing indicatives. Right? So our confession, our congregational confession that we read from Ephesians 1 through 14, remember that is a blessing. That is Paul. Declaring God blessed because of all the ways in which God has blessed us, his people. And what a gift to us. So with that in mind, let's turn to the text, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, and see the knowledge surpassing and knee-buckling love of Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, he's, if you remember when we talked about uh, Ephesians 3, 1, he begins, for this reason, right? And he, he's going to maybe start into the prayer there, but he takes a little detour, and he gives an explication of his own life uh, and how he's living these things out. Now, remember, he's imprisoned, right? And so the for this reason here is both Uh, What had occurred at the end of chapter 2, which is the identification of the Ephesian saints as the dwelling place of the Spirit, because they contain the Holy Spirit, because they have been built into a temple to contain and display the love of God, and because he had suffered for them, he now bows his knees. So what he's saying is that this is born of suffering and struggle. That I recognize Paul recognizes that uh, because of all that they 've gone through and all they will go through that it's it 's not just casual it just it doesn 't mean that they 're having their best life now in fact it 's going to get a lot harder from here like when you get confronted with what true love is, when you get confronted with the the call to love in the name of christ it is it is so. So much harder than we really give it credit for. I don't know that we respect it as we ought. And so Paul is recognizing, I need to, before I ask you to do anything in Christ's name, I need to pause and I need to pray for you. And so he begins his prayer by stating, from whom... Every family in heaven and on earth is named. So again, he's, he's uh, invoking the Abrahamic covenant. He's saying, if you are a Christian, Jew or Gentile, remember he talked about the dividing walls coming down, that one of the main things that Christ came to do is make one new person Forged in his redemptive love. That we were no longer a separate people. We're no longer divided and cut off from each other. And what a great and amazing gift that is. And so if he had to bring the, the wall down that divided us. What does that mean about our ability to truly broker unity in and of our own strength? I was at General Assembly this last week. In Dallas, Texas. Uh, Everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, And uh, and so it it, it was hard at times. Uh, And I'm not going to give a lot of commentary on what I think or how I voted or any of that kind of stuff. Not from up here. If you want to know, you're welcome to come ask me. But it was hard at times because what I kept seeing is people in their own strength trying to broker a unity that they can't broker. What I didn't see was a bunch of people broken out in, in pockets of prayer. So Tuesday night, you don't you don't really even get into anything on Tuesday night. My cynicism meter had tacked out at about fifteen on a scale of ten, and so and I knew well, I, you can't start there, right? That's a bad place to start. And so on Wednesday morning, we had an impromptu devo- devotional at my buddy Todd Gwinnip's house, and when it was done, we were all weeping and had prayed and and go to the. I think the worship, there was a worship service early on Wednesday, and I wept through that whole daggum thing. Uh, and it wasn't my style in any way, shape, or form, but man, the words uh, were just phenomenal. And, and I, I trusted that, look, style doesn't keep God from being God. Uh, when a song was written doesn't keep God from being God. His words are his words, and those are not songs are not scripture necessarily unless they're written specifically from scripture, but there was some there was some just meat in there, and it totally changed the rest of my experience for general assembly and so i I was now looking for where God was at work in the midst of a, of a group of men struggling like crazy to figure out. how to to coexist with all the different opinions floating around. And so, um, just yet again showed me, we we, we just try to do way too much in our own strength. Uh, We we are not as strong as we think we are. and, And we just don't have the ability to hold together or preserve what only Christ can hold together or preserve. There's times, I feel like, that we act as if Christ may be lost and that he doesn't reign. And so it's important that I I think we remember that, that we come back to that again and again, remembering who Christ is and that we are who we are. We're family, right? That doesn't mean you don't get to choose your weird cousins. You don't get to choose that kind of interesting aunt or uncle or the weird granddad that I'm going to be. And so you don't get to pick all that. And I think that's important that we recognize it's bad for us to pick because we always limit, we truncate ourselves. We're never, remember, I've said this about sanctification. You're never ever gonna make yourself hurt. You just won't do it. And therefore, you won't grow. And if you're not gonna grow, then you're not gonna be able to taste and see that the Lord is good in the lavish and abundant and profound way in which He is those things. And so, Paul here is invoking we are family. And we are named such because of what God has done and what he has brokered for us. And we would do well to remember that because we divide and subdivide and get sideways with each other so easy. And we don't take up the means of grace. We don't rush toward reconciliation like we ought. And so he's saying, remember this. Remember every family in heaven and on earth is named for him that according to the riches of his glory, Again, he doesn't work from deficit. He's not a God of deficit. We act as if he is because of our own limitations, right? We figure if I'm limited, surely God must be limited, right? But that's just not true. He's not limited in any way, shape, or form. In fact, he longs for us to taste and see that he is good and to truly live the abundant life. In all of its fullness. Now that doesn't mean, remember, sometimes abundance is in suffering. Sometimes that uh, abundance and suffering is for your greatest good so that you could become something that you will only be forged in that particular fire. I wish it wasn't true either sometimes. Sometimes. I'm not signing up for suffering. I don't long to to go through some things. Susan could tell you whatever I've been going through. It's been embarrassing how quickly I was reduced. Uh, You know, my fever last night spiked at 102, and I piled all these blankets on, and I just I I kept whining. And and finally, I think Susan just left the house to go just to get a break for a second. (laughs) It was embarrassing Uh, how easily I was reduced. Uh, to, to this kind of quivering thing. And so, uh, and so um, we have to remember that, that it is from the riches of God's glory, from the wellspring of his love, not in our own strength, that we're going to be able to understand his love. And notice what it says. It says, uh, from the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, this should call to mind a couple of different things from Scripture itself, right? So remember when Jesus confronts the Pharisees in Matthew 23, what does he confront them on? What did they spend all of their time investing in and doing? They had spent all of their time, all of their effort, all of their energy making the outside of the cup look amazing. Making sure that the, that the, the... The um, grave itself looked really good on the outside, but they were failing to do anything about what was inside, what was inside the cup. And so what Paul is praying for us here is that we would not make that mistake. In fact, it should also call to mind from Ezekiel 36 where Ezekiel uh, says, where God says through Ezekiel, I will take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. So outward appearance, mere good behavior is not the goal of the Christian life. In fact, for some of us, I might would argue we would benefit more from stumbling and being exposed for who we really are on the interior than doing all of this work and effort on the exterior because we would then know which way to run. We've said this before. When you sin and you will, you may be doing so right now. Which way do you run? Because that's the fullness of your understanding of the gospel. If you run from God because you're scared of him, because you think he wouldn't accept you in the midst of your doubts, your questions, your failings, and your struggles, then you don't understand his love. He, while you were still yet an enemy, He came for you. He condescended to draw you to him, not have you get it all cleaned up and then come to him. Reconciliation is a very radical thing. And the more I go, the more radical it strikes me and how deep and profound it truly is. And so we would do well to recognize that the work that we ought to be doing in terms of using the means of grace, it needs to be on the interior. It needs to be affecting our hearts and our minds, changing how we see the world, changing how we engage with one another, how we, how we see our spouses, how we see our children, the hope that we have. It should be profoundly changing us, which is Paul's prayer. He says, I, I want you to be strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner being, that you would not merely be clean on the outside too much of what we have is merely exterior and signaling and just, uh, it's just a facade of some kind. Would that we would recognize how truly forgiven we are. For some of you who struggle with the fact we do the, that's why we do the confession of sin. Right, I know for some of you that's a strange and odd thing to do. You notice those words, we come before you, oh gracious God, because we know who we are. We're not afraid to say, this is where we failed this week. And I understand for some of you, you get tired of saying you failed at the same thing over and over again. And I get that. I'm numbered among you. Um, but, But never grow tired of hearing once again the assurance of your pardon, knowing that God loves you, that he has forgiven you in Christ. If you be in Christ. And so he goes on from there, this, this idea of strengthening of the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So essentially, this is, this is, he's saying that you become the holy of holies, the place where Christ himself would dwell, so that you would be able to contain that glory. This should also call to mind, uh, when Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, that we are earthen vessels and, and this is one of the things that we talked about at General Assembly as we were trying to wrestle through, can I see the image-bearing, uh, God's image-bearing ability in all people, right? Even people I disagree with wholeheartedly. But, but this earthen vessel can't contain all that glory without some sort of spirit-filled intercession. It's, it's too great for all that, Right? It is. We can't contain it because we are flawed and we are limited and it has to come bursting out at some point and amen and amen that it does. But he is so gracious to, to, to invite us into it and to fill us up with these things. Um, what a gift that we have Christ dwelling in us in our hearts through faith. And then notice what he says, that you being rooted and grounded in love. What <laughs> an amazing thing that we would be rooted and grounded in true biblical love. Again, not, you got to be careful. You got to do the hard work every time you hear this word, because I think there's a cheap way of saying God is love. And then I think there's a really, there's a really um, profound way to say that God is love, which John does in 1 John, right? We know that. We know that that's what he is. Kind of. But we will spend an eternity, and this is why we have to respect the fact that it takes an eternity, it's so big, it is so profound that we will not exhaust it in all of eternity. Amen? And that is uh, something that we must always approach it with great humility, that we would not cheapen or sentimentalize the love of God, or to say that he doesn't care about justice. No, that's part of his great love, is it not? that he would be just in these things, that he will at at long last remove all all stain of sin and brokenness and sorrow, that we have this great hope that we look forward to when all things will be made new. What a gift. And so he wants us to be rooted and grounded in that. But that takes work, right? For those of you who do any kind of gardening, uh, something I've gotten into as of late, foolishly, uh, and, and so, uh, because the garden keeps you at some point, it feels like. Um, and so, but, but it takes work to establish those things. It, in fact, it takes seasons of drought for the roots to go deep. We've talked about this here before, that actually the times of your dryness, the times of your doldrums, the times where you feel distant from God may actually be the most important and profound aspects of your Christian life. Because it is there that the roots will establish and go deep. It's a risky time. But the reward on the other side, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, is is just an amazing thing. And so he wants us to be rooted and grounded in this. And that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God you, I, none of us, no amount of books that we could read, no amount of degrees that we could obtain, no amount of worship services that we could attend, no amount of those things will ever fully grant us the comprehension of God's love outside of the, the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Christ. We cannot comprehend it without his help it is that large it is that heavy Uh, there's a great old testament uh hebrew word kavod it means that god is heavy he's a weighty thing his presence has substance right and i think sometimes that we i know i'm guilty i take that weightiness i take that substance way too lightly i try to come into circumstances prayerless what a fool i am I try to come into circumstances without having asked for the power and work of the Holy Spirit to prepare the way. As if I could proud swagger into a situation and use my intellect or use my humor or use my whatever to try to improve that situation. And at best, that is a temporal fix. That's not going to bring the kind of fruit that glorifies the Lord our God. And so it's a very important that we recognize that this love that he's talking about in Christ, it is not something you can deal with for yourself. There's a, an interesting book called The Diary of the Country Priest by uh, Georges Bernanos. And he's got this, he has this interchange with this older priest who's, who's very wise and, and kind of crusty. And, and, he, and he says to, to the younger priest, he says, if you knew the power and the weight and the fire of the word of God, you would never try to take it up with your own two hands. You would recognize that it could burn you all the way to the core that you should use, prayed over tongs only. Not tongs, tongs, uh, which means uh, it would have been an instrument they would have used in worship. And so, uh, and so there are times where just confessionally, I grab a hold of God's word and I try to apply it or I try to use it or I try to put it forward and I have not first paused to realize what I have laid my hands to. I have not realized the power, the the dunamis, the, the just incredible gift that it is and so lightly grabbed a hold of it and just tried to either apply it quickly Or not bowed before it, recognizing the gravity of the situation, the weight that these words contain. They are the words of life and should not be handled in any sort of just uh, offhand way. And yet, God is gracious to not charge that to my account greater than what Christ has died and risen for. But it does make me long to, having studied this this week, um, to, to grow in that understanding and to, and to love our church, love the kingdom better than I have. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing, is even approaching the sermon, getting sick and thinking, I'm not going to be able to make it. And that's not because they're my words, I just thought it was too important for us to skip. That was too important to let some other sermon get preached. Um, and so, listen to what Stephen Fowle says about this portion of the prayer. He says, Being rooted in God's love provides a stability or a security from which to grow. Thus, growth in love of God and love of neighbor is both the vehicle and the end of the Christian life. One of the great questions that you could ask yourself on a regular basis is, how am I growing in loving others? How am I growing in loving the Lord my God? Many of us have examples of people that are difficult to love, that uh, God so graciously has placed within our spheres of influence to remind us the necessity for humility, right? Those challenges actually are a gift from God. To remind us that we are not the point. That we need him. To remind us that there is work to be done here that is good that we ought to put our hands to. And reconciliation is one of the more glorious things we could ever put our hands to. In fact, it's the most glorious thing between the now and the not yet. And so we need to remember that you can't do that in your own strength. As Paul is praying for us, as he's praying for them, we ought to pray for each other. But the Spirit would be at work, changing us from the inside out, and then helping us to comprehend how truly profound this love is. So what helps, what all helps to strengthen you and your inner being in Christ? What have you found to, to, to be most effective? Are you using the full range of the means of grace? Are there things that you have limited because of your view of those things? If you maybe let something creep in to keep you from being able to see God at work, because to me, one of the more profound things is when I stumble into a circumstance or situation and see God at work there, and I didn't, I didn't expect to, right? That's one of the sweetest things is to realize he was already there. He was already bringing some things to pass, um, that was kind of one of the neat things about uh, the, the trip to Texas is it really was about so much more than just General Assembly. There were some people that I encountered that didn't have anything to do with General Assembly, for, for which I, I'm pretty sure that's why I was there, um, and, and the things that were we, we were able to speak across to each other, uh, and so uh, what a gift to show up not really knowing what all God would do, but what I, what I want to do, what I want to grow in, I want encourage you to grow in, is being more expectant. That we would be more expectant that God is good and that God goes before us and that God does dwell with us. This is the principal reason he sends Christ, remember? It's the whole point of the redemptive story is that God would be with us His people, Emmanuel. And that he loves us In the midst of our suffering, he loves us in the midst of our failure, and he doesn't turn his face away from us when we appear unlovely. In fact, he draws all the closer. And so what helps you to strengthen your inner being? And then also what helps to root and ground you in the love of Christ? What just really helps you to to recognize uh, your firm foundation to, to understand the person and work of Christ, and then how have you grown in your comprehension of the love of Christ over the last year? It's good for us to pause every now and again and just reflect. Right, one of the things that I'm doing with the leadership cultivation course, we're almost done, and uh, everybody hung in and their journeys end, and they so far have read everything that I threw at them, and uh, have turned in everything they were supposed to turn in, and and so my goal for them was, and I told them this along the way, is that they would become a more reflective people. Because I think that's one of the things, we just we don't do that very well. We're so, we can be so forward in our thinking, we just kind of move on so quickly without pausing and, 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 and stopping to go, wait, what's the journey been about so far? What, what has God been up to? What maybe have I missed? How might I reflect back? It's one of the things that uh, Susan and I have done periodically on the Lord's Day Sabbath is just to reflect on how God has been good over the last week. It's something I also try to do daily is pause at some point in the day and just pray, Lord, here's where I've seen you be good. Because we we are so blind and deaf to these things at times. And the world is such a cacophony and, and creates so much mist in this regard. Satan doesn't want you to see that God is good. So you have to be active in pursuing those things. You have to be steadfast in asking for the Lord to show you those things. All right, let's turn back to the text and look at uh, what has been our benediction for the last few weeks, and this will be the last Sunday that it serves as our benediction as we'll move on to further in the letter. Let's look at the exceedingly abundant and expectation-eclipsing power of God this is verses 20 and 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now again, he's, uh, Paul's coming back again to this, this idea that God is not a God of deficit. He is a God of abundance. He's a God of lavish riches. He is the creator of the universe. And listen at what it says. Now to him, being God, who is able to do far more abundantly, and this is important, than all we ask or think. So what again is he emphasizing? We don't even know what to ask for. Like we have such, you know, C.S. Lewis has that great quote where he says, it's not that we have engaged in sinning and, and getting excited too much about sin. No, it's that we are eating mud pies while there's an entire banquet behind us. We actually desire far too little we are way too easily satisfied with things that can't satisfy. I love the way Isaiah puts it. He says, you basically clothe yourself with a spider's web. I don't know if you've ever tried a spider's web shirt. It doesn't get you very far. Uh, it makes people think you're weird. And so what he's saying is it doesn't clothe you. It's not sufficient for what you need. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that death has been swallowed up by life. You are not becoming less clothed. You are being fully, uh, you've got full raiment. And you are beautiful and glorious to the Lord your God. What if we believe that? How many of you, this is a rhetorical question, struggle with just feeling just unlovely? It's you, you just don't really see your worth all the time. You just don't, you just don't, you can't get, why would God care? Because most people don't care. My own family doesn't seem to care. I'm not saying that about my family. Now, uh, there was a period in history where they didn't. And so, so how many of you struggle with just not being able to see Yourself as God sees you in your righteousness, in your righteous raiment in Christ. And think about how, how that cripples us. Think about how that actually makes life in some weird way seem easier. Because then you don't have to be responsible for much. You don't have to live up to much, right? And yet we have to recognize that we don't think like God thinks. Isaiah says it again. Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. His are so much better than ours. And would that we would confess on a regular basis, even when we begin a prayer, to maybe say, listen, God, I don't know what I'm going to ask for. I don't even know what to think half the time, but I'm here. And think about that glorious passage in Romans where Paul says, and even when you don't know what to say, the Spirit cries out on your behalf. What a gracious God that he, he recognizes. You don't think like I think. You don't know what to ask for. You don't even know what to say half the time. I'm going to say it for you. I'm going to say it in the power of the Spirit. Think, think about how that ought to change how we pray the freedom that it would give us to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive what we need, both mercy and grace in a time of trouble, Hebrews Hebrews chapter four. Would that we would be a people who run swiftly to prayer. That is my longing for our church. It's my longing for myself. I can't tell you how many times I've failed at that, where I've walked away from a situation and thought, I didn't even pray. There's a story about a Uh, a Puritan uh, divine who was well-respected and every situation that he exited out of, he would say, a word of Christ before we go. And I I would hope that I wouldn't think that that would be hokey or feel weird, that we would be the kind of people who are like, oh gosh, (laughs) the camera's gonna pray for us, right? I've battled that in my own heart. I don't want it to feel stilted or or in any way, shape, or form, like it's, it's forced, and yet, and yet, it's the most valuable thing that we could do for each other, with each other, to each other. And so here we have this God who can do more than we ask or think. We have to recognize our weakness, but here's what's crazy. Do you notice the next line? It says, according to the power that is at work within us not outside of us. It's according to the power that's at work within you, so you get to be a part of what this great God is doing in this beautiful world, fallen though she may be. And that power is at work within us. So think about how that sh- begins to shift our ability to engage in reconciliation and to walk across what seems like an insurmountable distance between us and someone else and say, I love you and I'm sorry and I was wrong. Or, I love you, I'm sorry, you were wrong. But to be able to pursue reconciliation just as God has done for us, not when they get it right, but when we Recognize there's the need because we've been empowered, because we've been filled with this glorious spirit. If you notice, the whole Trinity's in there, by the way. We've already been told we're filled with the spirit in our inner being. We've already been told Christ dwells within us, and now we see that the fullness of God is in us. And so, how might we begin to look at each other? and approach each other in all our frailty, in all our limitations, in all of our foibles, that we would recognize that fullness in each other and be able to love each other in a way that is so odd to this world. It would be incomprehensible, the kind of reconciliation, the ambassadors of reconciliation that we would be and become. And that we would fight for that for each other, with each other, and on each other's behalf. So this is Paul's desire for them, that they wouldn't just be uh, saints who disengage from the world, but that they would do these things for the life of the world. And that they would have a non-anxiousness about them that would allow them to stand in some really hard places and say, yeah, you messed up. You messed up really bad. But do you want to get up one more time? Yeah, we are, we are at odds. There's no doubt. But it is important that we see these things reconciled. That we would fight toward each other and not against each other. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says of this. He says, Paul's prayers of intercession add another dimension. The huge reservoir of plenitude out of which this intercession's flow. His prayers of intercession flow out of the plenitude of God. The plenitude of God, not the the penury of the human condition. So he's saying it's it's out of the plenitude of God, not the limitedness of man that Paul is praying. It goes on to say uh, that it undergirds the intercessions. Paul is certainly not unaware of the neediness of the congregation to whom he's writing. He is, after all, a pastor. But his prayers do not arise out of pity or desperation over the human condition. That is my longing as pastor is that I would not pray for you because, uh, because I, I am so overwhelmed by your human conditions and the various conditions that break out in your humanity. That I would not, not pray for you out of fear. That I would not pray for you that you would just be better so my job would be easier most weeks, right? How many of you enjoy being told, just, just be better? Sometimes that's the message that can come across if we're not careful. He says, but his prayers do not arise out of the pity of desperation of human condition. These intercessions are shaped and energized by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about that for a second. Think about what it would look like if we as an entire church took that serious that we took the plenitude of God seriously and did not let the finitude of our human condition dictate so much, that we would be a people of great hope, that we would be able to comprehend the height and breadth and depth of God's love for his people. So let me ask you, what do you expect from God? Now, some of you... Deep in theological moorings are like, (laughs) we should expect nothing from God. Mm, Okay. But that's not what he told us, right? He says, he makes it very clear. No, expect great things from me for I am your God. This power that is at work within you, it is far more than you can ask or think. Why would we think that God he doesn't expect us to expect something good from him. He is a good, good father. Now, we can't expect him to do something that's unbiblical. That's different, correct? We can expect him to keep us from suffering. That's unbiblical. Suffering is part of the frame. We can expect him uh, to, to, to do certain things that, uh, that go against the issues of reconciliation. We can't expect him to smite every enemy we declare. But what we can do is expect him to be good, and we can expect him to be, uh, according to Scripture, we can expect him to be all of the things that Exodus 34, 6-7 through 7 tells us about him. That is his confession of himself. We can expect him to be steadfast in love. We can expect him to be long-suffering. We can expect him to be far more forgiving than he is necessarily judging by comparison, but he will always be just. We can expect that. We can expect him to be faithful to us, his people, that his promises are true, and he will do what he said he's going to do. Even in the dark of the night, even when it looks like everything is coming apart and coming unglued and our culture or in our denomination or whatever it is that you're looking at and think how can this hold together well he's already told us it holds together as it always has in christ and praise be to god that that is true and it doesn't hold together based on what we do and say so may we become a more expectant people of god's presence and his goodness to us when we gather together and then, what are some ways in which God has exceeded or reframed your expectations and understanding of Him over the last year? What are some ways in which you've just been overwhelmed by the love of God? That you've, you've said, oh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you brought uh, life in that dark, dead valley. I can't believe, God, that you have restored this thing. God, I can't believe. It's hard for me to believe, but I celebrate that it's true. Your goodness. So I want to encourage you to take some of these questions over the next day or so and kind of think through them and seek to answer them uh, so that you can, you can grow in this thing that Paul is praying for us. I've been praying this all week for us, and I'll continue to pray it over the rest of the sermon series for Ephesians. So know that you're being prayed for in this regard, and I expect God to do some interesting things in some of your lives. Um, I expect him to do something very interesting in my own heart. Mine He already has. I've been so just challenged and broken through this series. And so what are a couple things that we learn from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21? Well, it teaches us that the love of Christ surpasses our knowledge and strength, requiring the Holy Spirit's help to comprehend and live it out. Again, you can't just say the love of Christ or the love of God not recognize you have laid hold to something of eternal value and weight and strength. Would that we would approach it with far more uh, just uh, humility. I don't think we gotta do anything crazy religious, but humility would be a great place for us to start. And then the power of God exceeds all that we ask or think, making him worthy of all glory. Remember, that's why Christ came. Christ came to display God's glory in the world. Remember, that's the purpose of the church. Our our purpose is not to be a social institution. We will not provide every aspect of social things that you need. The building, if the Lord grants us getting all the way there, it will not serve every purpose in that regard. We long for it to be a missional outpost. We long for it to be a place of worship. We long for it to be a place of reconciliation. But it won't meet every need. And so we need to recognize that it's God who meets every need. That it is, it is it, the church's job to display his glory in that regard. And so it can't be done if, we don't, if we're not experiencing it at the individual level. And so may we be a people who grow in this regard. And again, if you would, since I'm praying this for you, if you'd pray it back my way, not in an imprecatory fashion, but uh, in the way that I'll be praying for you, so that we would, um, we would be a light, a city on a hill. That we would see wonderful fruit born of our time together. Amen? All right. Uh, I'm going to pray and then Wes is going to come up and do communion because I, I, I ain't got a whole lot left. Uh, so, Father, thank you uh, that you have upheld. Thank you that Christ holds all things together. Thank you that your word is a sanctifying thing. Thank you that it's, your word is a purifying thing. May, may we recognize with great humility uh, that we need the strength that only the Spirit can grant us to be able to comprehend these things. These are deep, eternal truths. Though they're words that are common to our mouths, uh, may we recognize that in your hands they become something very different. And so we pray that you would change us from the inside out, Lord. That you would strengthen us in our inner being, that we would not just be those who major on externals, that we just try to look really good on the outside, but that we would recognize that there is a heart transformation that must go on in the power of the gospel, that there's a brokenness that must, uh, that must happen in our inner being so that we would know who, and whose, who you are and whose we are. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to comprehend with all the saints the just profundity of your love. That's one of the reasons we've been reading the Assurances of Pardon from the historical aspects of Acts. This, this is a, a historical reality. We sit here today because of what you did so long ago and what you maintained and what you held firm even in a world convulsing in darkness at times. God, help us to be a people who are swift to pray for one another. Help us to be a people who are quick to, under, to understand that we don't even know what to ask or think, but you do. And you're good, and you go before us. In Christ's name, amen.